University All Access Podcast. I'm Angela Bailey, Chief Advancement Officer and your host for this adventure. I'd like to welcome you all to the On-Call Lounge here on the Frontier Nursing University campus in beautiful Versailles, Kentucky. Within this inaugural season, we give you an all-access pass to delve deeper into Frontier Nursing University and the individuals who are making a daily difference in advanced practice nursing, midwifery, education, and healthcare across the country. Today, it is my pleasure to welcome Dr. Vicki Stone-Gale to the On-Call Lounge. Now, should I call you Dr. Stone-Gale or Vicki? You can call me Vicki. That would be fine, Angie. All right. Thank you, Vicki. Welcome to the On-Call Lounge. Thank you. This is great to be here. It's a fun project, and we're so glad to be able to offer this to our listeners. So, Vicki, for our listeners' um, information, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do at Frontier Nursing. Well, I am um, I'm an associate professor at Frontier Nursing University. I came to Frontier in 2014 from a previous university that I was at in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, where I live. And uh, so I have been involved in the university for almost eight years now. Um, I teach in the primary care one course, which is the management course for the family nurse practitioner track at Frontier. And uh, prior to doing that, when I first came to Frontier, I I, uh, was in an epidemiology and biostatistics course, and then I had the opportunity to take over the primary care course, and I've been in that course now for probably around six years, and um, I just love the course because it's a course where I can watch the students really kind of grow and develop and and start to see them uh, just blossom. Wow. Do you remember what month you came in 2014? I did. It was March. It was March 30th, as a matter of fact. Isn't that fun? Because I started at Frontier in February of 2014. I started on February the 3rd, and we both oh. remember those dates exactly, right? Yes, we, yes, we do. Yes, we do. It was a wonderful, <laughs> wonderful day in my life to come to Frontier, yes. Oh, mine too. And I don't think that I have ever looked back. So, you know... You have talked about what courses you teach, and and our listeners do know, hopefully, at this point, that we are a distance learning institution. And how have you found that to be different from previous positions? Is is the distance dynamic easier? Uh, How are your relationships with students? Are they the same? Well, I came from a brick-and-mortar school, um, and... I, you know, so I had not taught online prior to coming. I had done some online work at that university because our we had some hybrid courses. But to be in an all fully online program, I had not done that before. And I find that I connect so much better with my students. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that you are you're really forced to do that. You know, you want to connect, you want to make sure that they feel your presence in the course, that you um, are including them in the course and making sure that they are getting all of the information that they need. So in my Primary Care One course, we do a lot of face-to-face um, sessions and that that's enabling the student to be, you know, fully engaged in the actual uh, course. And I find that the students, um, I find that the students really learn so much differently in an online program. I think that they really put a lot more into it than when they're coming into class, and that's just my perception. 
uh, having done both, but I find that they put a lot more effort into it. I, I see that they they study more there. I see the times uh, that they are online because I can track that in my course. And they put a lot of time into coming into that course and really doing what they need to do. So I have found that it's really, it was a much easier thing for me to teach. Um, not only do I have more time to prepare and do a lot of things for the course, but I also have a lot of time to spend if students need assistance and we can do it we can do it on the computer right. and at any single time and you're not limited to I'm in the university at 8 a.m. and I'm home at five o'clock and then right. I don't have any connection with you you know I connect with my students in the evening and the weekends if I need to do that that's part of what we need to do as online uh, faculty and you know we can't just say it's five o'clock Friday and we're done um, because students might need help over the weekend, especially if that's the only time they're doing their work because yeah. they're, they're working Monday through Friday and they're working, you know, 12 hour shifts. Yeah. Vicki, that was beautiful. And that is exactly what we continually hear from our alumni. Now, my office also works with our alumni to keep them engaged with the institution. And all of the things that you have just said, I have heard echoed by them over and over again, that they didn't realize how much more they would actually be connected with their classmates and with their professors in an online environment. But I think that that is a true testament to you and the rest of the faculty and also to our commitment of having this community of inquiry and this um, community that involves all students. And I know that, you know, students hate the uh, group projects, but I know that there are lots of those <laughs> that our alumni say, you know, at the time, but now I'm so glad. And we spend a lot of time helping build, helping our students build those connections, right? We do. And, and, you know, in my course, I make sure that the students are connecting because, because they're paired up in either groups of three or groups of five to do, to do some of these live uh, sessions. And they get to talk to each other and they get to know each other. And um, so it's, and they don't even know what their assignment's really going to be when they come into that session. And they kind of develop in that session and they develop amongst each other. And um, it ends up where, you know, I've had a few of the students tell me that when they end up leaving the course, they've made relationships with those students that they've connected with in the course. So, uh, and I think they work better together when they're really being challenged and they can talk things out. Mm. You know, we talk so much about critical thinking skills that nurse practitioners need and, right. you know, that we're able as faculty to listen to them while they're working through these scenarios and really pick up on those critical thinking skills that we want to hear them doing because that's what we need to know that they can do to go out and practice uh, oh, safely. Yes. You know, they have, we're, we're preparing them to practice safely and that's what they, they have to do. So we just don't know uh, if we don't hear. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's, it's really a great thing for them. Uh, you guys do a wonderful job. And I'm not sure that you're aware, but our number one source of referral for new students has been for years and continues to be referral from our alumni. And I think that is such a testament to the work that you as faculty do and the relationships that you're able to build. So thank you for that. Well, yes, and, I, and I do think that, you know, our faculty are probably one of the best faculty that I've ever worked with. 
Um, we have so many years of knowledge in this university. Right. <laughs> so, right. Many, so many hundreds of years of teaching experience and practice experience in this university. And the students, you know, the students know that when they come in, they do their research and they've talked to people and they've read, um, you know, about Frontier before they come here. And they know that we're top in, in you know, the nation on, on many levels. Right. So uh, they don't come in blinded. They come in knowing exactly how rigorous the program is. Right. And which, you know, sometimes you hear all these online nursing programs are, you know, they're just not rigorous enough. And, you know, they're not what they need to be in, as like in a brick and mortar school. And I find it more rigorous for the online program. It's very interesting because I was on a call the other day with 100, 100 nurse practitioners and they were talking about online programs and the concern that some people in the community are saying, well, you know, there's so many online programs and they don't, you know, they're just throwing these students out and they're, they're just, you know, putting them out in the field and they're not really getting a good education. And I was just ready to say something when one of the, um, one of the members said, um, well, I'm going to tell you that the only nursing university that I really know puts out quality nurse practitioners in an online school is Frontier Nursing University. Wow. And I was yeah. so proud yeah. of, to hear that. You yeah. know, it, it was an awesome thing to hear. Well, and you know, a lot of people don't know that we created the Family Nurse Practitioner Program many years ago, and we have always been pioneers in distance education. And I think that one of the things that people forget is that because we are distance, it allows us to pull from a very talented group of faculty all over the country. Yes. They don't have to live in Kentucky. They don't have to be here. And so we get to pick the cream of the crop like you, Vicki, from Florida, right? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. And speaking of Florida, I hear you just won a really great award in Florida. Can you tell our listeners about that? I did. I was just notified a few weeks ago that I was um, honored to receive the uh, American Association of Nurse Practitioners State Advocacy Award for 2022, um, and that is really for doing the work that I've done in Florida for um, nurse practitioners to get autonomous practice, to get controlled substances uh, bill approved, and and I didn't do that by myself. Trust me, you know I did <laughs> right. that with many, many, many of my wonderful colleagues in Florida over the years. Uh, so it was a real honor to um, to be told that I, I have that award, and I'll be accepting that in June at the um, AANP National Conference in New, I believe it's in New Orleans this year. Yeah, and I hope to be there and be in the audience clapping for you as oh, you receive that award. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. But I'm sure that our listeners don't know because I don't think that I understood before I got to Frontier that the laws governing nurse practitioners are really state dependent. And so can you talk about that a little bit and why um, what your fight has been in Florida and why it's important? Yeah, it's, it's been a big struggle in Florida, and every state has their own laws, and it depends on the legislation that, that um, you know, says this is what the nurse practitioners in, in that specific uh, state can do. Uh, I remember when I graduated in 1992, I met a lady named Barbara Lumpkin, and Barbara Lumpkin was a registered nurse, and she worked for the Florida Nurses Association. 
And she was probably kind of a lobbyist for them, but she did many, many other things. She was a big advocate for nursing in general. Uh, and she, I was introduced to her about a year when I got out of school, and she said to me, I really want you to uh, come with me to Tallahassee and um, listen to what the legislators do and testify in front of the legislators in regards wow. to, to nurse practitioners and what you're doing in the community. At that time, in my area of uh, Broward County, Florida, we didn't have any nurse practitioners. We were there, there were five of us that graduated from Barry University from their family nurse practitioner program. So we were the first five in the area, uh, in this area. There were a few down in Miami that went to University of Miami and they didn't even have a, 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 a master's program. They were a bachelor, bachelor's prepared um, nurse practitioners. Oh, so wow. we were we were one of the first masters prepared nurse practitioners in the community. And the physician that hired three of us had a big vision. I mean, he saw what we could do, and he had a vision. And he hired um, he hired two of us, and his friend hired one of us. And so we we started out, you know, with um, an organization that somebody, one of the drug reps said one day, you need to start a nurse practitioner organization, a local nurse practitioner organization. So we, we went to Red Lobster and there was about, at that time now, we've got about 10 nurse practitioners and we formed this group. And that's how I met Barbara Lumpkin. We invited her to come and speak to our group. And so she asked me to, to go to Tallahassee. And I was like, oh, no, I'm not doing that. Uh, I'm not talking in front of those people. I don't know. Enough, you know. And she said, oh, no, you know, book your air airfare. You'll be on a plane next Wednesday or Thursday, whatever day it was. And away I went. And so I listened to this testimony in the legislature. And, um, and I was able to speak. And I was hooked. And that was it. And I never went, I never looked back. Um, and so the, that fight for our autonomous practice, for our controlled substances, that was all, you know, still brewing back then. And it hasn't been until recently that we were able to get legislation through. So, you know, I've been practicing since 92 and it's that many years that we have been fighting this battle. You know, we went from physicians not even talking to us about our patients to now, you know, most physicians have nurse practitioners in their practice. But I remember when I graduated and I would send a patient to a specialist and I would call that specialist to ask him about what he saw with the patient, he wouldn't talk to me. Wow. And I remember this specific cardiologist saying, I'm not talking to you because you're just a nurse and I need to speak to the physician. And my physician that I worked with got on the phone and said, this is my nurse practitioner and she is educated and qualified to treat patients. And she referred a patient to you. Right. So it's, and it's her patient mm -hmm. and you need to discuss the patient's care with her, not me. And if you choose not to do that, then we won't be referring to your practice anymore. And Good for him. Really, yeah, he really stood up for us and was a was an advocate for us, and he's the one that saw that vision, and he even took so much flack from you know the hospital because he was only one of two uh, physicians in the in the area that put nurse practitioners in the practice, and they were just all against it, and he really took a lot of a lot of hit at the hospital uh, for that. And then as we kind of transitioned in the, within a couple of years, uh, I had physicians calling me, asking me to get them a nurse practitioner 
because they knew what myself and the others were doing in the practices and they saw that we were making a difference and really helping the practice. And it wasn't that we were just taking care of patients, we were educating patients. We were providing um, more care to the patients than they could give because we took a little bit more time with the patients. Right. We were doing, now they were transitioning, they were like, oh, you can do pap smears. Well, we don't want to, as males, we don't want to do that anymore. So then we saw you know, ourselves being able to transition into a lot of women's health in the practice. So it took many, many years for us to transition into um, into that. You know, it's interesting. We had a um, we had a webinar last night that Florida uh, uh, Kim Curry, who's with AANP, she lives in Florida, and she just did a webinar on uh, a, a complete video on the history of nursing and nurse practitioners in Florida. And it was very interesting to hear some of the the people that have been involved way back in the '70s and how we have progressed since then. But, you know, I, I have to say that it's been, um, it takes, you know, it takes a village to try to get things passed. And the Florida Medical Association has not been friendly to us over the years, and they're still not friendly to us. Um, well, let's, let's go back just a second, because I think that our listeners may not understand how a nurse practitioner or a nurse midwife, for that matter, is, is an integral part of the care team that also includes doctors and why autonomous practice is even an issue. Well, you know, I think that there a lot of the old school physicians, they don't want to let go. They don't want to have change in their practice. They still want to have their thumb on people. Some of the newer physicians, I think they get it, and I think they understand it because, you know, they were trained with nurse practitioners. But the whole part of this is the team. You know, you're a team. You're taking care of patients. So what with the physicians getting so upset that we want to do what they want to do and we want to do it by ourselves, it just does, doesn't make sense. When you've got patients that lived in underserved areas and rural areas of the state that don't have access to care, right. that have to go maybe 50 or 60 miles to see somebody, um, that's just not feasible for people. You know, they don't have the money right. to travel. They don't have the, the, the means to travel, not even just financially, but maybe they don't have a good car. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we really are an integral part of the healthcare team in Florida, and some people just don't see that. And so the whole thing has been, we need to work together. We need to work right. together as a team, the nurse practitioners, the midwives, the CRNAs, um, you know, every aspect of the nurse practitioner team has to work with medicine, with radiology, with oncology. I mean, it's not just primary care. It's all different settings. And we have nurse practitioners practicing in every single setting. They're all over in specialty areas. And right. psych mental health is a huge thing right now. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we have to partner with our with our physicians to give the best care that we can give. That's the key right there. Um, And, you know, by by becoming autonomous in Florida, it's really, it can open so many doors because we have, people don't think of Florida as having underserved rural areas. Up in the panhandle, um, we don't have a lot of nurse practitioners and healthcare providers up there. And, you know, we, there's a, there was a scenario we gave to the governor about seven years ago. And I remember this very clearly where we told him that, you know, these children that have ADD have to travel 60 to 70 miles 
to get their medication filled or when they, the practitioner could do that, the nurse practitioner could do that. So I think there's just a lot of, um, there's a lot of tension that doesn't need to be there amongst medicine. And I think that um, some people see it and some people just don't, Angie. Yeah. And I think that's one of the beautiful things about Frontier, because even from the very beginning, it was about creating relationships and helping and educating people about how advanced practice nurses are a part of the team. And I think that once people start to understand that, that they're not replacing, they are a part of a team where everybody has a role and is needed. And I love that you mentioned, you know, the the healthcare shortage areas, because we have several areas in this country, as you well know, um, that are called healthcare deserts where people are having to wait weeks and months and travel great distances to be able to get the care that you and I may take for granted that we can go down the road two miles and get. And as our country continues the um, migration from rural areas to urban areas, those who are in rural areas are are continually and increasingly underserved. And so I think that, you know, your point about nurse practitioners um, and nurse midwives filling those gaps is just such an, an integral role. And of course, has always been Frontier's mission is to serve those who are rural and underserved. Yes, and, and you know, Angie, in 2020, so House Bill 607 was passed, and that bill left out some significant healthcare providers, uh, such as psych mental health nurse practitioners and all the specialty groups and the CRNAs. Um, it was really geared towards primary care. And as long as you practiced in uh, primary care practices in family, in inter- general internal medicine, or in primary pediatrics, and you met the guidelines as far as um, meeting the CEU requirements and making sure that you uh, did not have anything on your license, you had an unencumbered license, <clears throat> and you um, you have malpractice insurance and that type of thing, then you could get your autonomous uh, nurse practitioner license. So in that bill, there were some provisions for uh, nurse practitioners for underserved areas. If you worked in underserved areas, that they put in the bill that there was a $5 million uh, budget for the nurse practitioner that worked in an underserved area to apply for uh, $15,000 a year to go towards paying down their student loans. Wow. So some of our nurse practitioners in primary care, you know, they looked at that and said, not only do I want to become autonomous in this underserved area because my community needs it, but I also would love to get some of my student loans um, removed. You know, we, we have a lot of, a lot of us have a lot of student loan debt. Right. And so um, one of our, one of my colleagues um, up in the panhandle, uh, she opened a practice and was really supported by a legislator to open her own practice in an underserved area. And she went last week to find out, we were trying to find out where we could get this money for her to start paying down her student loans. And the money was pulled from the budget out of our bill. Oh, no. 
That money was pulled from our budget out of our bill last year, well, this session, because they, they hadn't used it yet. So they pulled it to use it in something else in the budget in the state. But yet autonomous practice couldn't even be applied for until October of 2020. Wow. And so a lot of nurse practitioners were just starting to, to, you know, start the application process and everything. So they, and then they pulled it in like March. They didn't even give any nurse practitioners time to even be autonomous, get everything up and going, get their practices running or anything before they pulled that money. So now, you know, we're, I'm trying to see if we can get that money back somehow, because right. that, that was a recurring, that was a recurring budget. Mm-hmm. And that is going to, that could dissuade some nurse practitioners in the state from saying, you know, okay, I'm working in an underserved area and I can't even get what I wanted to get out of this right. bill. Yeah. So, you know, there's so much, there's so many things that we have to do still um, to take care of. We need to get psych nurse practitioners and all the specialty groups and every nurse practitioner in the state. Um, we need to get them autonomous. Um, when, when we, when autonomous practice was approved in 2020, um, I was able to be the first nurse practitioner in the state of Florida to get my autonomous license. Mm -hmm. And my daughter, who's also an FNP, she was the second nurse practitioner to get her autonomous license. Fantastic. You must be a very proud mama. (laughs) I I am. I am. And, and, you know, a lot of us, like I, I, you know, I probably won't practice for more than four years. I'm at that age, you know, I'm on the downside, but, but we did this bill for these people who are coming behind us. Like my daughter's still got 25 years to practice. And so we want it, you know, the autonomous practice, we want to try to get for every single nurse practitioner in this state. And we still have our struggles. You know, I can't stress enough, Angie, the need for all nurse practitioners in every single state to be working with their legislators working with students to let them know that this is something that you get out of school and you just don't start practicing. We want you to also become involved in your legislative, um, you know, the the legislative groups and stuff in your state and your local and your national organizations, Mm -hmm. uh, because you have to be aware of what's going on in your practice because it can be taken away from you in one line in a, in in a bill. And, you know, What I really hear you saying, and correct me if I'm wrong, is it is important for all nurse practitioners to be involved in their professional organizations and in advocacy for themselves, for the nurses that come after them, and for the patients that they serve. Because if you do not have the support of those state governments, it really ties your hands about where you can practice, how you can practice, and how you serve the communities that you're in. Absolutely. And, and that's the way you connect. You come, you know, and I've got students that, I, you know, that I know are coming to, we have a nurse practitioner meeting next week. And some of my students that were in my course are coming because they live in the area. And, you know, in, in those meetings, we talk a lot about advocacy. We talk a lot about getting involved in your local, then getting in, and also doing your state and also doing your national and going to those conferences, hooking up with somebody who really knows advocacy Mm-hmm. And knows how to talk to senators in the House of Representatives and how they, you know, those people who really can connect you and help you and be mentoring for you. Right. I, I didn't know how to do it. I was mentored um, by um, Barbara Lumpkin to do it. Mm-hmm. but And I didn't know how to do it. So 
those those things are really important. The mentoring process is important because, you know, we've got so many people going to retire and we really need all these people <laughs> to come behind us yes. and still do the work. There's so yeah. much work to be done. You know, we can't give up and we need um, we need voices. And, you know, unfortunately, we need dollars because dollars talks and you know we know medicine has the money to pay legislators and nursing doesn't have that kind of money mm-hmm. so you know our packs are a lot smaller which is your political action mm-hmm. um you know action committee funds are smaller than physicians but you get out there you you get the legislators to know you you get them to understand what you do in the community for them uh, and for the patients you get them to understand in your in your district Yes. This is how many nurse practitioners we have in your district. And this is what they're doing in the community. This is the amount of patients that are seen um, by those nurse practitioners. And it's you You have to educate these legislative uh, representatives because some of them are coming in brand new and they don't even know who you are unless, they sure. see, unless yeah. they've seen you in practice, you know. Right. Right. You know, it all comes around full circle for me because one of the first things that had to happen, again, when first Frontier first started, was to get the support of the state and of the doctors in the state in order for a nurse midwifery program to even happen because it was a new idea. And so from the get-go, this has been an issue for advanced practice nurses to to um, kind of break in to that realm and say, hey, this is what we can provide and we're here to be a team member. But what I also love is that I know that every Frontier student gets uh, uh, classes on leadership and on how to be a leader in their community because we know from the get-go that our students are maybe practicing in rural and or underserved areas and they're going to have to be their own advocate and and be leaders in their community and so I think that you know having mentors like you who are saying this is an important part of your leadership to advocate for yourself and your your brother and sister practitioners is just so incredibly important. It, it really is. And if you're, you know, and you hit on a key word, advocating for yourself, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's so, that's a, a real important thing. You know, I was very blessed to have uh, a physician that I work with and, and I've been with him for 21 years. So he's so pro nurse practitioner and uh, has been so supportive of me over the years in my advocacy efforts. Um, but it's important to be able to also educate the physician if you have to, if you're working with one and making sure that they understand because they share that with their physician colleagues too. And like, I know that the physician that I work with has, has talked to his own colleagues about the importance of autonomous practice for nurse practitioners. You know, when I got autonomous practice, he was so excited. Now I won't leave there because I don't need at this stage in my life to open my own practice. My daughter, my daughter does. She she right. will, uh, and she's in the process of working with that. But th- they need to understand. The physicians also need to educate their colleagues on what you can do. So if you've sure. got if you've got a really strong physician you work with who supports you and who understands the need for that advocacy, they can also advocate for you and right. help you too. So you have to you have to just not reach out to your colleagues. You have to reach out to everybody around you put 
op-eds in the paper, you know, do articles in the paper, uh, speak at conferences, speak at local meetings, speak at at state meetings and just get the word out there. And it, it all pays off in the end, that hard work. And we saw that with our controlled substance bill. Uh, which was passed in in 2017, I think it was. And we saw that with our autonomous practice bill. But we need to continue um, that advocacy effort and to be letting our students know that we need them to be leaders in our community too. Absolutely. Now, for our listeners who may not be um, nurses or nurse practitioners at all, who are just interested in Frontier and the work that we do in improving rural and underserved health, what would you say to those non-practitioners? How can they help make sure that um, our advanced practice nurses have the resources and the support that they need in their own states? Well, I think, you know, we need to educate them about what we can do and we need to be um, we need to be working with the community. And, you know, the best thing I think that we can do and we do this down here in South Florida and Dr. Diane John and Dr. Sally Weiss, who are also frontier faculty live right by me and they're part of our local organization. And uh, Diane John is very, very, um, very entrenched in the community and she does a lot of community work i do it with her and so we're out there we're out there where people are meeting us these these are not physicians these are not nurses these are people in the community at the ymca at the schools Mm -hmm. that that know uh, that we're educating that know what resources we can bring to them they see the things that we do in the community and they in turn um, you know, we work with kids in distress. We work with right. women in distress. We work with um, with very low-income schools to do food drives and clothing drives and school drives. And they remember us and they tell other people in the community. So right. it's not just about the legislatures. It's about mm-hmm. it's about other people in the community learning about you, learning about what you do for them and sharing that with other people because they will, they will share it with everybody. And so we get calls all the time to, can you come and speak to our group? Can you come and talk to our elders um, at the, at the church about nurse practitioners and what you do in the community? That's a beautiful thing. Absolutely. It It doesn't have to just be our elected officials. Yeah, there's been lots of grassroots movements across this country that have had a huge impact, and I I totally agree. Educate yourself and share the knowledge, right? Share the knowledge. Share the love. (laughs) Share the love. Vicki, this has been so wonderful. Is there anything that you would like to share that we haven't talked about? Uh, You know, one of the things that I just want to say is that – you know, Frontier Nursing is a is just a phenomenal university, and I'm not just saying that because I work there, but I, <laughs> you know, and I, I love working there. But just to hear the um, the community say positive things about about our university, you know, there was a physician here that an, uh, another university was trying to get him to take uh, students uh, for the women's health, and he said, "I only take Frontier students." 
and I, you know, and I loved the, the the faculty member came and told me he won't take anybody unless it's from Frontier. I'm like, well, that's because they're good. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> so, you know, I for those out there who who are thinking of maybe being students, you know, that are, are wondering what we do. You know, we we're a very rigorous university. We have excellent faculty. We have strong faculty. We put out really good students. Our graduates get jobs and they and the, the people who hire them have the utmost respect for them. And the other thing we do too that is so good is we publish. Mm -hmm. We publish on all kinds of different diagnoses and, and conditions and, and our, our faculty do book chapters and we do presentations um, internationally, nationally. So we've got a lot of good things going on at Frontier. Yes, and we're going to be highlighting many of those as we move forward with this podcast because sometimes I like to say that Frontier is the best kept secret in the country because there is so much going on here that folks just don't know about. Well, Vicki, I certainly thank you. You are not only a wonderful advocate for nurse practitioners, but you are also a wonderful advocate for Frontier. And I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today and help our listeners understand a little bit more about advocacy and why it's important. Well, I thank you so much for inviting me, Angie. It's been a pleasure. Oh, thank you so much. And to our listeners, as always, again, thank you for joining Frontier Nursing University All Access. We hope that you have enjoyed our conversation and that you will share what you have learned today. If you would like to learn more about Frontier and how you can make a difference for mothers, babies, and families across the country, please visit our website at frontier.edu. Or you can reach out to me, your All Access host, Angela Bailey at Angela.Bailey at Frontier.edu. If you have enjoyed this podcast, and we certainly hope that you have, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Until next time, thank you for listening. Thank you.